Spray are not here today because they're over, uh, I believe at Manasseh's Brethren Church today for baby dedication service of their youngest grandchild. So uh, it's an interesting day for them, a very enjoyable day. It's also Mitch's birthday, so that's a nice birthday present, I guess, for him as well. So we begin the message today. We want to recognize the moms that are here, honor them. Uh, as I said at the beginning, you give so much time and energy to make us better people than we would have been otherwise. <laughs> we still didn't turn out all that great, but we're definitely better than we would have been if we hadn't had your influence in there. So thank you very much. My mothers just tend to sacrifice so much for their children. Only rarely do we stop to thank them, and today is such a day. And we thank and honor them for their love and devotion to us, their families. Now, we're continuing a sermon series, The Way Up is Down. And in this series, we've been talking about how upside down Jesus sees the world from what the rest of the world sees it. We want to do that with an emphasis on moms today. But we also want to all get the same point, that Jesus has this upside down way of looking at things. The first week. When Christians spoke, we looked at happiness and, and how we look at happiness, the Beatitudes of Jesus. And that while many people base their happiness on the external circumstances of their life, are things going well, things not going so well, Jesus said our happiness is not dependent on that. It's dependent on what's happening internally in our relationship with God. So that if we are poor in spirit and if we are merciful and we are for pure in heart, then we can be happy through any circumstances that may come in our lives. Last week, we looked at how Jesus won by losing, which seems a little strange. That Jesus won his greatest battle by giving up his life, by dying. And uh, in the same way, we who are his followers today surrender our lives in order to find them, in order to really find what God has as purposeful, as meaningful, as satisfying in life as we can possibly enjoy. And we can only have that in Jesus Christ when we surrender our life to him. This week we want to talk about serving one another in love. And as Dave mentioned, John 13 is our text where Jesus is at the Passover meal with his disciples. Now, this serving one another in love is very appropriate on Mother's Day, as you understand, because that's what mothers do. That's what they do all the time, 24-7. They're serving their families in love. And I don't want to discount the contributions that dads make, because we obviously make some very great contributions. <laughs> but in most homes, moms do the lion's share of the work. They really do. And they're there constantly, as a little video at the beginning of the service definitely illustrated that. I want to illustrate it just a little bit further. I want you to watch a video that was created by American Greeting Cards. And I think you'll appreciate this. This is a mock job with mock interviews for that job. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. World's toughest job, definitely. Well, John 13 is our text this morning, and in this chapter, Jesus holds the Last Supper with his disciples. And uh, they're meeting in the upper room of a friend's house. He's had uh, uh, John and, and uh, Peter go and prepare things. They're celebrating a day early, and why is that? Well, because the next day he's going to die. The next day is Passover, and that's when the lambs are executed in the temple. They're, they're killed as a sacrifice, and the families take them home. Then they have their Passover meal. Jesus had to do it all a day ahead of time so that he would be prepared to be the Passover lamb for all of us. 
John takes a lot of time to uh, kind of set things up as we start this chapter 13. Just doesn't get right into the heart of what he's saying. He wants us to understand the context in which Jesus washed their feet. Look at this. It was just before the Passover feast. Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. The evening meal was being served, and the devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot, son of Simon, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Now John takes time to do this because he wants us to know that as Jesus is the host of this meal is God, God in the flesh. He is God who the cre- is the creator who has come down to us to give his life for his people. And so he says things like this, Jesus knew that it's time to leave this world was rapidly approaching. Jesus knew that the devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot to betray him, so he's got a betrayer in the mix. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, his control. Jesus knew that he had come from God and that he was going back to God. And then John uses a very powerful two-letter word, so. Knowing all of this, so. And it punches us like a big word, therefore. You know, okay, we've got the stage set and everything. So, Jesus got up from the meal... He took off his robe, he put on the towel, and he started washing the disciples' feet. By contrast, the disciples didn't have a clue what was going on. You know, they'd come to the meal. No one had washed their feet as was typically done. They're all sitting there at the meal, knowing that something's missing. They may even know what it is, but none of them is willing to do it. And Jesus immediately addresses this problem. He becomes the servant of all of them. And while he's preparing to give his life for all of them the next day, they're kind of jockeying around like, who gets to sit next to Jesus at the meal? Just like they had argued earlier, who's the greatest in the kingdom of God? Now, Jesus had never washed their feet before, but it was obvious that they needed a lesson today. They needed to learn one final, strong, pointed lesson in their lives. And as his ministry drew to a climax, really in his death, The disciples were thinking only of themselves. Jesus wanted that to change. So he got up to wash their feet, and they were shocked. Peter reacts. We don't have time to read this, but Peter reacts. He says, Lord, you're not going to wash my feet. He knows this isn't right. The rabbi doesn't wash his pupils' feet. The Lord doesn't wash the slaves' feet. And Jesus says, you know, if I don't wash your feet, then you have no part in me. And Peter says, okay, okay. Well, then go ahead. Wash my hands and my head, too. You know, just... Get all of me, because I'm definitely in. But he got it. This is not right. This is not normal. This is not customary. But Jesus wanted to make a point. And when he finished, just to make sure they didn't miss that point, then he tells them what it was all about. Go down to verse 12. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and he returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. 
I tell you the truth, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. You know what Jesus taught these grown men that night is a lot like what Christian moms and dads try to instill in their children day after day. It's virtually the same lesson, isn't it? We teach them that the way of Jesus is vastly different than the ways of the world. We teach them not to be selfish and self-centered. We teach them to be humble, to think about the needs of people around them rather than their own needs because our very natural tendency, our fleshly tendency, is to think only of me and what I want. And so a parent's job, one of our main jobs, is to get that out of our kids, to teach them something better than that, to teach them the way of Jesus. We teach them to love God. We teach them to trust God. We teach them to, to follow whatever God says. And what one of the greatest things God says is serve one another in love. Basically, we teach them something that could be called basin theology, and that's why I called the sermon that. What is this, Basin's theology? What, what does it have to do with us? Well, this is a philosophy of life. This is a way of life that revolves around a basin and a towel. And in Jesus' culture, that was foot washing. That was doing the menial task of the servant that no one else would want to do. Now, there are two basins that are mentioned in the New Testament. The first one is found in Matthew 27. In Matthew 27, Jesus is standing on trial before the Roman governor, who is named Pilate. What did Pilate do with a basin? Do you remember? Anybody? He washed his hands. Why did he wash his hands? What was that about? Take away the guilt, right? He didn't want to be responsible for what was about to happen. Jesus is going to be condemned to die. And he says, he doesn't deserve this. But the Jews are demanding it. The crowd is going crazy. And Pilate, to avoid a riot, says, Okay, I'm going to give you what you want, but I'm not responsible. So he washes his hands in this basin of water to clear himself of that guilt. This is the first basin we see. We could call it the basin of irresponsibility, not responsibility. The basin of blaming someone else for all of our troubles. The basin of excusing ourselves. The basin of, of self-centeredness that says, I'm not going to get my hands dirty with this. I could stop it, but I'm not going to. The other basin we already read about is in John 13. It's the basin of Jesus. It's the story of Jesus washing his disciples' feet. His basin is the basin of selflessness. His basin is the basin of service or, or even sacrifice because the next day he willingly went to the cross on their behalf. Washing the guest's feet was not what you would expect the rabbi to do, the host to do, not the master, not the leader, not Jesus. But it's what Jesus did because his disciples needed to learn a very pointed and powerful lesson that night. And to make sure they got it, he said, I have set you an example that you should do as I did, as I have done for you. And he used this basin to make very clear God's purpose. He used it to show his willingness to serve his disciples, even if many had to die. Jesus was superior to us in every way. John's made that point. He's God in the flesh. He's come to rescue us. He's come to save us. But he does so by giving himself up, by giving his life. Mark 10.45, Jesus said, The Son of Man did not come to be served 
but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Like many in this world, Jesus had an agenda, didn't he? He knew where he was going. He knew what he wanted to do. He knew what he wanted to accomplish. He had just a few years to do it, and he had an agenda, a very aggressive agenda. But he also had the most altruistic agenda anyone has ever had. You know what altruism is? Altruism is to think of the person that you're trying to help rather than yourself. Of no benefit to yourself, you do whatever you can that can benefit them. And Jesus came not for his own glory, not for his own benefit, but for ours. And he surrendered his life so that we could be saved. Jesus didn't spend his energy doing anything for himself. He was working for whatever would benefit us. And in the same way, if we're going to wear the name Christian, if we're going to follow Jesus' example, we will not shirk our responsibilities like Pilate did. We will not excuse ourselves. We will not blame someone else. We will look for opportunities to do what Jesus taught us to do. We will look for opportunities to serve others, often at great cost to ourselves. Basin theology is what the Apostle Paul called serving one another in love. That phrase is found in Galatians 5.13. He said this, You, my brothers, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. That is, don't give in what your sinful nature instinctively requires of you. Rather, choose something different. Rather, serve one another in love. Make a choice. Choose the upside-down way of Jesus. In fact, he says the entire law is summed up in a single command, love your neighbor as yourself. Isn't that what we teach our children every day? Isn't this the same foundational lesson that Christian moms and dads teach their children? We call it the golden rule. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. Jesus humbled himself, and he took off his robe of authority. He took off his leadership position. He did the most humbling task possible. He washed the disciples' dirty feet. This is the same thing I see good moms doing every day. Now, they may or may not wash their kids' feet. I've seen them do that. They set aside their own feelings. They set aside their own comfort, their own I'd rathers, in order to serve their children, to benefit them. And in so doing, they teach their children how to live. What is important? What is our purpose? Moms often get the dirtiest, most unsavory task, don't they? They cook an endless number of meals, sometimes with little or no thanks. And we eat these wonderful meals and we walk away from the table and never say anything about it. They clean the house just to watch it get dirty again. What an awful thing that must be. You know, you get all straightened up and here comes the hurricane, <laughs> you know, just obliterated again. And they, they sit up with their sick children. How many of you have sat up all night with a sick child? Every one of us. We've all done that. Moms do it more so than dads, I think. They watch over their child's every need, denying their own need for sleep, their own need for comfort. Uh, I remember sometimes sitting on the edge of the bed till your legs go numb, you know, trying to comfort a child. It's your awful, awful position. And many times my wife has gotten up with the kids, and I slept right through it all. They get sick, they go in there, and she said, you know, I had to go in there with the toilet while they were throwing up and hold their heads, rub their backs, and watch it all happen, you know. What an unsavory job that is, and sometimes they don't make it to the toilet, do they? And guess who cleans that up? Usually mom. 
Now, I know dads do these things too. I've done some of these things, but not nearly as frequently as moms in most cases. And the point is simply this. Like good moms and dads taking care of the kids that they love, that God has blessed them with, as followers of Jesus, we must choose to do the same thing for people that are absolute strangers to us. We must choose to serve them in love and to live for different purposes than the rest of the world. We choose to love and serve others above our own needs, and that's basin theology. That's Jesus' upside-down way of life. And it is the right way to live. It is the best way to live, even though the world will tell you differently. The world will say, take care of yourself. Do whatever pleases you. Make sure you get what you want out of life. And Jesus said, they've got it all wrong. The most meaningful, the most purposeful, the most satisfying life you can live is to serve one another in love. Our children learn this way of life by our example, and by the priorities that our family lives for. The late Dave Thomas, who founded Wendy's Hamburger Chain, was known for his humble service within the multi-billion dollar empire that he had founded. When asked what made him so successful, Dave Thomas says, well, it was my MBA. And people that knew his background wondered, what in the world do you mean by an MBA? You didn't even graduate high school. You didn't get a master's in business administration. He says, no, I'm talking about the mop and bucket attitude. <laughs> in other words, no chore was too insignificant, too demeaning for him. And, and when, when he would see something need to happen, he was the CEO of the company. He'd just step in and do it. It's got to be done. And he developed this attitude of the people close to him that they would do the same thing. He called it the MBA. He never got a college degree of any kind. It would have been easy once he had tasted success to demand every perk and privilege as a way of congratulating himself for his success, but he never did. To the day that he died, he lived with that MBA, the mop and bucket attitude. That's basin theology in action in my book. Mother Teresa visited Phoenix in 1989. She was there to open a new home for the poor. During that brief visit, she was interviewed by uh, the largest radio station in town, and in a private moment, the announcer asked Mother Teresa if there was anything he could do for her. He was expecting her to request maybe a contribution for the new home for the poor, or maybe some, uh, you know, a little extra attention and, and promotion and radio announcements to help raise funds for the, the, the home. Instead, she said, yes, there is something you can do. Find somebody nobody loves and love them. <laughs> That's what I want you to do. Find somebody nobody else loves and love them. That's what you can do for me. And what she had learned in her life was that was the secret. That was the way to live. And she wanted everyone else to discover the same secret that she learned. This upside-down way of Jesus is what makes it work and what changes this world. A couple weeks ago, I was in Pennsylvania to preach a revival. And uh, as I was driving up to Laughlin Town, I went down Highway 30, went right past the Flight 93 Memorial in Stoystown, Pennsylvania. I was reminded of the courageous son of some people that we know that go to the Manor Woods Church over in Rockville, Maryland, the Beamers. September 11, 2001, their son Todd Beamer was faced with a question, what am I supposed to do? What am I supposed to do knowing that we only have a few minutes probably to live? Thankfully, he had already learned 
how to live before he ever boarded that flight. Beamer was a 32-year-old executive with a company called Oracle. He had left on United Flight 93 that morning thinking that he was on a regular business trip like he took all the time. That morning, just before he got on the flight, he called his friend that he'd been praying with, and he asked, how are you doing? Is there anything special I can pray for? He was checking in on him because he was somebody who was trying to encourage, invest his life in. Then he boarded the flight. When he realized that the flight was hijacked, Beamer and at least three other passengers decided they were going to do something about it. They had heard that the other flights had crashed into the World Trade Tower and, and into the Pentagon, and they were determined that their flight was not going to be used as a weapon. He knew that his wife, Lisa, was, Lisa was at home, but rather than calling her, which is what he wanted to do, he called the GTE operator. And he reported the hijack, and he asked that operator to pray the Lord's Prayer with him. And the last thing that she heard then as he dropped the phone was, he said, you guys ready? Let's roll. And they charged the hijackers, and they tried to take control of that plane. And, of course, it plummeted to the ground and crashed and killed everyone on board. On September 11th, Todd Beamer became an American hero because of the way he spent his last moments. But the beautiful thing is, Todd Beamer was already a hero before he ever boarded United Flight 93. He was a hero because despite his athletic abilities, his success in college, his business success as an Oracle executive, he was first and foremost a servant of Jesus Christ. He was a servant of the people around him. That's how he lived. He served his family. He served his community. He served his business people. He served anyone because he was serving the Lord. And every one of us wakes up every morning to what may be our last day on earth. So let me encourage you today, learn to serve. Learn to serve the people around you. Think about their needs because it will dramatically change who you are and what you feel about life. Don't say, well, I'll become a servant one day when I get my goals accomplished. When I, my kids are grown or when I've taken care of the responsibilities I've already obligated myself to because if you will change your purpose, if you will change the motivation of your life, then it can start today. And you can begin making a difference in others' lives, even this moment. You won't get to the end of your life having done everything you want to do, and you say, was that it? Was that all there was? Why did I spend so much time doing those things? I should have done what Jesus said. There is no better way to live than to serve other people in love. There is no better thing to pick up but the towel in the basin in your life. Service is the highest calling that God can put on any of our lives. So serve others in love and teach your children how to serve others in love. A wealthy American traveler tells a story of how he was visiting a hospital in Southeast Asia. He entered a room just in time to see a missionary nurse cleaning the sores of a sick and dirty elderly man who had been lying in the gutter in the city for months. And the wealthy man said to the nurse, he says, I wouldn't do that for a million dollars. She turned back, looked at him and said, I wouldn't do it for a million dollars either. The man was obviously humbled by such a reply. And his comment about her service had actually revealed that he considered money the best motivation in life. Getting something for yourself back as return, as a return on investment. But he found out that there are indeed higher motivations in life than money. The nurse was not in it for the money. She was in it because Jesus was in it. 
And because she loved that person, because that person had needs that she knew how to satisfy and take care of, and she could exhibit and demonstrate the love of Jesus by taking care of his wounds. Jesus taught Basin theology by his words and by his example. We must each first learn that lesson, tough lesson to learn. And then we must find ways to teach it to our children and to our children's children. His upside-down way of life, his way of serving others, is the only way to live. And I want to encourage you today to learn to serve others in love. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would be on our hearts today. It's not just a matter of uh, being impressed with Jesus, but we want to learn the lesson. We want to learn what it means to serve and to give and to sacrifice and to love in these uncommon ways. Jesus' way of life is so different for us to understand. It is, it is counter to what we have learned from the rest of the world. And I pray today, Father, that you would help us to embrace this way of life, to serve others in love. We pray for your blessing upon the moms and dads that are here today for all the sacrifices that they continue to make. But may they realize that this is the very best lesson we can teach to our children. And may they set the example so those children can learn what it means to live this purposeful, meaningful life of service for Jesus' sake. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.